Well, hey, this summer we're starting a new series uh, that we're calling Lessons Learned. And this is basically the basic important lessons that I've learned. It was over 30 years ago now that I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, I had no clue. I had no idea about anything. I mean, uh, like I didn't, I'd never heard of the Apostle Paul. I knew there was an Old Testament and a New Testament, but I didn't know that like Jesus is in the New Testament and the Old Testament is like Moses and stuff. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. I had no idea what was going on. I'd not been a member of a church, not participated in church. I had no clue what was happening. And I like to think that over the last, you know, three plus decades, I've picked up a couple things. And so I want to share some of those things with you. We're going to start off with part one of this series with the basic truth that God calls on regular, everyday people like you and me. This is a lesson that I learned. You know, you look into the scriptures, you look at, say, big fancy ministries and you see these people and they seem really important. And then you think, well, who am I? I'm not really important. I'm not this super extraordinary human being. I'm just a regular everyday person. And the reality is God calls on regular everyday people like you and me to do extraordinary things for his kingdom. And it's not that we need to be extraordinary. We just serve an extraordinary God. We just serve an awesome, wonderful, tremendous God. And we just need to do our part. Let him do his part. And that's where the power comes from. But some people are afraid of God. They're intimidated by spiritual things. And they think they just have nothing to offer and that God can't use them for anything because they're just normal, everyday people. Well, normal everyday people can pray. Normal everyday people can serve God in powerful ways. God has a history of calling on regular, normal, everyday people. I want to go to Acts chapter 4, reading in verses 8 through 13, starting in verse 8. It says this, Then Peter, and this is Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So an incredible miracle had happened. An individual who was lame and had to be a beggar, was healed. And when that healing happened, then there was all this stuff that occurred. But Peter, who is the one basically who prayed for him, God used him for that healing. Obviously, Peter can't heal people, but Peter can be a conduit for the power of God because Peter's just an unschooled, ordinary person, just like John, unschooled, ordinary men, regular everyday people. So who are Peter and John? One account of Jesus calling them is in Luke chapter 5. So let's go to Luke chapter 5. Let's get a sense of who these people are. What did they do? What was their life like? 
And how can we get a picture of our role by looking at them? So here we go. Luke 5, 1 through 10 is the account of the calling of actually James and Peter. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So James and John, John was there with Peter. And this Peter, they were fishermen. 2,000 years ago, regular everyday people, they would put out at night, try to catch fish in the nets. They would sell the fish. That's who they were. They weren't fancy, amazing people. They were just normal, everyday people. God uses normal, regular, everyday people like you and me. Let's go to the Apostle Paul's description of the members of the church in Corinth. We go farther down into the New Testament. This is several years later. Saul has been saved. He becomes the Apostle Paul. He goes on his missionary journeys and he spreads the gospel. And one of the places he goes is Corinth and a church is started. And then this is how Paul describes the people of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And then verse 31 says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's just amazing stuff. So Paul is basically looking at all these people that are in the church in Corinth. He's writing them a letter, but he knows who they are. And he's, he's like, hey, you know, you guys weren't really very fancy. You know, you're not of noble birth. You're not wise. You know? <laughs> and then you know, he kind of lays it on pretty thick. God chose the foolish things, the weak things, the lowly things, the things that are not in order to show that it's not about the person. It's about the God the person serves. It's not about me being somebody fancy. It's not about you being extraordinary. So now God can use you because you're just this amazing human being. No, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. 
God's power is, is shown in our weakness. It isn't about us being amazing. It's about us being normal, everyday people that God is using, that God is doing things through. It's not about our ability. It's about God. So we see that over and over again. God calls on regular, everyday people like you and me. And Jesus even told a parable about this idea in Matthew chapter 22. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 22 and take a peek at the parable here of the wedding banquet. So Matthew 22, we're going to read 1 through 14, and it says this. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. It's pretty harsh. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay, well, that's kind of an interesting parable there. What was Jesus talking about? Well, he was talking about the chosen people, the nation of Israel, who would refuse him, and then the gospel going out to the Gentiles, to all the nations of the world, so everyone would be invited in. Now, everyone is invited in, both good and bad, it says there. But then once you're invited in, you got to get with the program. You got to get your wedding clothes on. Uh, you got to get with the program once you're invited in. If you don't want to get with the program, uh, it's not going to work out for you. That's the, the lesson there. Everyone is invited in. Everyone can come in and be part of the good things that God has. Everyone can do that. But of course, if you're going to do that, then you got to get with the program. So how do you put on wedding clothes? Well, you put on wedding clothes by being clothed in Christ's righteousness. Basically, it's all about receiving the forgiveness that God has offered you through Christ's death on the cross, believing that he has paid the price for all sins to be forgiven, that you may be redeemed, and then pledging your life to follow Christ. If you do that, that's putting on wedding clothes. You're not trying to prove yourself to God. You're not trying to say, I'm so awesome that, you know, God, you got to accept me because I've done this right and this right and this right, and I've sacrificed this and this and this. No, you just are clothed with Christ. You're clothed in his righteousness. We are forgiven and redeemed by what Jesus has done for us. And that's how you're, you get your wedding clothes on. You're clothed with Christ. If you want to come in, but you don't want to be forgiven and then serve the Lord, 
learn his ways and live in the ways of God and serve God. If you don't want to do that, well, that's on you. You got to put on the wedding clothes. They're provided for you, receive forgiveness, walk in the ways of God, and then you're good to go. So very important stuff. You want to know how to get those wedding clothes on. So the main point here that Jesus is making in the parable is regular people are invited, but then you need to get with the program. Regular, everyday, normal people like Peter, who not only was a a fisherman, when he saw the power of God, he said, you know, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter was intimidated by Jesus. He was intimidated by the holy moment that happened, and he wanted to back away because he knew he wasn't worthy. Well, neither am I, neither are you. It's only God that makes us worthy. He's the one who sees the value in us and offers us redemption. Again, regular people are invited, and then it's time to get with the program, put on the wedding clothes. Now, God does call some people into a different role than others. God does call some people into full-time ministry, into missions work. Some people he calls in to lead. Like not everybody is supposed to be a pastor of a church. You can be 100% committed to what God has for you in your life, be totally obedient to him. And if he hasn't called you to missions work, don't be a missionary. If he hasn't called you to be a pastor, don't be a pastor. Do what he has called you to do. But he does call some to lead in the ministry in these ways. And I want to read a couple of sections, one from Luke and one from Ephesians, just to talk about the fact that God does call some people to lead in different ways. So Luke 6, 12 through 16, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus spent all night praying, and then he's like, okay, from all you disciples, I want 12 that are going to kind of be my inner circle. And then of those 12, he picked three. And so Jesus called them in to a closer relationship and to a leadership relationship. But he didn't get rid of all the rest of them. (laughs) Like, okay, you 12, everybody else, get out of here. It wasn't that. He called some into a special leadership role, but all were called to follow Jesus. And then Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about the structure of the church and how God has called some people to lead and everyone to serve. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. So God has called these, some people call it the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So there are those who are leading, and then there are those who are like the congregation, who are the group. 
some people are called into full-time ministry, like people like me, that this is the role God has called me to. But as you noticed here, the people who are called to be apostles were people like Peter and John, these unschooled, ordinary people. Even the, the vast majority, just normal, regular, everyday people, some are called into full-time vocational ministry, but everyone is called to full-time Christianity. Everyone who trusts in and believes in God is called into full-time Christianity. What that means is that you are called to prayer, to have a prayer life. Normal, regular, everyday people who follow Jesus are people of prayer. You pray for God to intervene. You intercede for people. You ask the Lord for direction. You have a prayer life. Regular, normal, everyday Christians can pray. You can pray out loud. That can scare people. But regular, everyday people can pray out loud. You are called to worship, to express your love of God. Uh, at church, we often do that in songs, singing songs to the Lord, worship songs to God. There's so many ways to worship God. I mean, I love to be out by myself in the wilderness, just sitting in the presence of the Lord and looking at his creation. That to me is probably the most powerful place where I connect with God is just alone in the wilderness. But hey, I love the worship music part too, where we worship God together corporately in worship. But that's normal, regular, everyday people called to worship. Normal, everyday, regular people are called to sacrifice, to give of what they have, their time, their talent, their treasure for the cause of Christ. Normal people are called in to, you know, giving tithes and offerings and their time. Regular people are called to that. Regular people are called into spiritual gifts, all kinds of spiritual gifts. Uh, regular people are called into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God with them, you know, and working through them. That's normal. Regular, everyday Christians are called into the fellowship. They're called to be part of the group and to serve in various different ways. That's who we are. And so we need to understand that. One of the things that can happen is people can elevate Christian leaders too high. It can be not so great. Now, don't forget about certain things. I mean, you, you don't want to push leaders too low. You know, I feel like as a pastor, some people think too highly of me and some people <laughs> don't like me as much as they should. And very few people have just kind of like the regular appropriate level of understanding of who I am. I'm just a regular person. Don't think too highly of me and don't think I'm a horrible monster because I'm preaching the gospel. Jesus loves you. And that's the message I'm trying to bring. So there you go. But 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 20 says this. And, you know, we want to we know that we should honor people. It says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. So like I stand up in front of people to represent the gospel. 
So if I do something really stupid, that should be public information to warn other people. You know, if, if I fall now, if a regular person in the congregation does the same stupid thing, we don't, we're not going to share that with everybody that's on them, but you're in a leadership position. You get double honor. It says here, but you also need to realize that when you make mistakes, it's more people's business than it is when you're just a regular part of the congregation. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 You know, it's a little awkward for me, but it's an important one too. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So don't elevate Christian leaders too high, but don't forget these sorts of things. You know, the role is important and that sort of a thing, but understand people like me, normal, regular, everyday people just trying to serve God the best we can. But sometimes people can put pastors and leaders into too high of a position. And a hilarious story happened when our oldest boy was just a little kid and we were taking him to church and uh, he was probably four. I mean, he was just little. And uh, a word came out of his mouth and his mother was like, hey, you're not supposed to say that word. You know, you're not supposed to swear. And my little four-year-old Jacob said, well, but God swears. And we're like, what? God swears? Yeah, I heard him swear. You heard him swear? Where did you hear him swear? At church. You heard God talk at church and he swore? Yep. We're just like confused. And uh, like, what did he say? Well, he said, hell. And um, we're trying to figure out, okay, you're hearing God at church. What is going on here? You know, is he having a a vision of God, what is happening? And so I asked him, I said, okay, where does God sit at church? And he said, oh, God doesn't sit. He stands up in the front. We're like, oh no, that's the pastor. (laughs) That's the pastor. That's not God. You know, I wasn't the pastor. This was Pastor Rick uh, over in LaPorte, but a clear misunderstanding of what was going on. A regular, everyday, normal person called by God to preach the word, and the little four-year-old thinks it's God. Well, that's a hilarious misunderstanding from a four-year-old's mind. But just because somebody's standing up in the front, you know, sometimes people can put them in a higher place than they really should. And if you elevate the leaders higher than you should, then you're set up for disappointment because you're going to realize regular, normal, everyday person putting on wedding clothes and trying to live for Christ, but imperfect. That's just the way it is. So you're set up for disappointment. And then the other thing, which I think is also very, very important, is you can undervalue your role if you're not called into a ministry role like this. If you're not called to be a pastor or a missionary or serve in some sort of a vocational ministry, you might think, well, I'm not that important. It doesn't really matter. So whatever. Don't undervalue your role by thinking, oh, well, the important things are like the guy that stands up in the front and talks, you know, like, I guess it's important, sure, but your role is equally important, even if you're not called into a full-time ministry type position. So don't undervalue what God can do with you. Don't undervalue that. God calls on regular, everyday people to do things for him. Regular, everyday people can tell others what God has done for them. We call this witnessing, witnessing to what God has done in your life. 
You can do that for somebody. A coworker can do that for a coworker. A teammate can do that for a teammate in ways that people like me can't do. You know, some people that are looking at this on TV and they're like, what a quack, and they just are going to ignore it. But then if you say, well, I don't know, you know, some of the things he's saying make some sense to me. Here's what God has done for me. You know, Jesus took care of this. You know, if you do that, then that's going to have a way more significant impact on that person than me being here doing this. So understand the power of your witness. You can pray and see God do miracles. You can serve and do amazing things in the church. You can mentor people. You can make a difference by your example to others for loving others and caring for others. You know, God is calling you to make a real difference. So don't undervalue what God is calling you to do by thinking, oh yeah, you know, the pastors and they're the important ones. From this side of the pulpit, let me tell you, the thing from Ephesians 4 that we read is true. I just try to get you to do your job. That's my job. And that's basically it. I don't do a whole lot. I just try to help you get to your place. If that can happen for 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people, then all of a sudden we'll get something done. That's where we want to be. Don't undervalue what God can do with you. And don't underestimate the reality that spiritual things are for normal people. Praying out loud is for normal, regular, everyday people. Praying for miracles is for normal, regular, everyday people. Spiritual gifts are for normal, regular, everyday people. That is just the reality of it. It's not about the person. It's about the God the person is serving. So normal, regular, everyday people can access the power of God and see God do amazing things. Now, if you think you need to be somebody super extraordinary, then that can cause you to abdicate your role because you can get intimidated. You know, like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, smart enough. I'm not all these things. Well, then you might back up and not step into the role God's called you to do. And if you do that, instead of normal, regular, everyday people stepping into that role, there can be abnormal, irregular people (laughs) that step into that role. And that can be a real problem. Because we're supposed to have people step into the role that are normal, regular, everyday people. I was at a conference one time, and it was kind of a Holy Spirit theme deal and trying to get people to hear from God and share up in the front. And so they went through this thing and, you know, hey, if you got something that God has showed you, come on up and share it. And God had showed me something, but I thought it was kind of not very good. You know, it was kind of lame. And uh, it was kind of lame. I mean, just sort of boring, you know, not that interesting. I'm like, I'm not going up there to share that. I mean, I know I have this to say, but I'm not going to say it because it's not going to help anybody. It's pretty much boring. And then I just heard, you know, that still small voice of, if you don't go up there and share that, the next person is going to derail the meeting. Like, if you don't go up there and share something boring, then somebody who's off base is going to take your place and it's going to go somewhere bad. So up I went shared my boring thing. I got to be the guy that had the boring word from God and that nobody cared about. But guess what? I assume that it stopped somebody from derailing the meeting and taking it into a weird place, making everybody feel awkward and the people leading it have to deal with that. I hope that's what happened. But let me tell you, if you abdicate your role, somebody else will fill it and they won't do it as well. So normal, regular, everyday person, serve the Lord. All right, one more thing on that. I've seen people who are called into vocational ministry be afraid 
who think of themselves as a pastor because they think too highly of the role and then they don't do it and they miss their calling because they don't feel worthy. Well, you're not worthy. (laughs) Just relax. Neither am I. We're clothed in Christ. Remember, it's not about us. It's about who Jesus is and him making us worthy by offering us forgiveness, redemption, new life, and then we just serve him. That's how it's supposed to work. Don't miss your calling because you overvalue the role and you think normal, regular, everyday people can't do that, and you're a normal, regular, everyday person, and so then you step out and miss what God has for you. That's a heartbreaker, and then we need you. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to read that, but we need you. The body of Christ needs you. I don't necessarily mean, you know, Good Hope Church. What I'm saying is that the global redemption revolution needs your help. This, what they call the cause of Christ, the global redemption revolution, bringing redemption to this world, rescuing people who are caught in all kinds of pain and suffering and hurt and the evil of this world and helping them get free and redeemed and be part of rescuing other people from the darkness. Man, the global redemption revolution needs you. So go after it and grab a hold of it. Normal, regular, everyday people can have that. Now, I'm basically looking at this from a, oh, I don't feel worthy which a lot of people are intimidated by the things of God and that sort of a deal too. But man, don't be too cool for Sunday school either. You know, if you just think you're all that and you're super important and you can't participate because, well, all these other people are not nearly as good as me, you know, like that's the classic, oh, I don't want to go to church because it's all full of hypocrites. Yeah, you're so much better than everybody else that you can't lower yourself to uh, interact with those horrible church people you know, man, don't be that arrogant. That's just that's super judgmental. And wow, you don't want to be too cool for Sunday school. So realize you, you need to be who you are too and realize that you can serve God. And when you're sitting next to a hypocrite, they're sitting next to one too. So there you go. All right, <laughs> let's land the plane here. You know, I'm trying to encourage you to see your value and answer God's call as a regular everyday person. It's one of the important lessons that I learned. Regular, everyday people are people that God calls on to do things for his kingdom. People God calls on to change their hearts and to follow him, but value equals responsibility. See your value and understand you also have a responsibility, but the responsibility part can be scary. You know, like, what if I do this really poorly and somebody is pushed away from the gospel who should come in, you know, like, I don't want to do that. If you're going to make a real difference, then that means there's real responsibility. If God has a real plan for your life, then you have a real responsibility to live out that plan. That can be scary and you can get on kind of a roller coaster of, am I doing this right? Am I doing poorly? And I just want to share with you the gospel of John chapter 15. The first part of that, the vine and the branches really set me free because Jesus is saying, It's about the vine and the gardener. It's not about the branches. You're a branch. You don't need to be more than that, but you do need to abide in the vine. So let's read John 15, 1 through 8. It says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes 
so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is such a powerful section of Scripture, but really verses 4 and 5 make the depth of the point. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So are you the sort of person who on your own can do nothing? You're just a normal, regular, everyday person. Well, you're the sort of person who can hook up with Jesus, who can connect with the vine, and then you can bear fruit. You can bear fruit that will bring glory to God. This is who God makes you in Christ. A regular, normal, everyday person, like a stick, but grafted in to that vine that produces the nourishment and causes the fruit to come. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the God we serve. And we are made worthy because Christ made the sacrifice. And we are called to do this in remembrance of him, to receive Holy Communion, to remember what Jesus has done for us. But again, I just want to encourage you, serve the Lord. Grab hold of the spiritual things of God as a normal, regular, everyday person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your calling that you go out to the highways and the byways and you compel us to come in. And Lord, you give us the opportunity to be redeemed, to put on those wedding clothes. But Lord, we must do that. And Lord, we know the only way that that is possible is because of the great message of redemption. That Lord Jesus, that you made the sacrifice, that you shed your blood, that we could be forgiven, that the wages of sin is death. You paid that wage for all of us. And thank you, Lord, that you also have provided for our healing, that by your stripes we are healed. And so, Lord, let us grab hold of the fullness of forgiveness and the fullness of healing today. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And Father, I pray for each one listening right now. I pray that they would see their value in you, that they would understand that you call on normal, regular, everyday people to be people of prayer, people of worship, people of spiritual gifts, people who make a difference, people who are absolutely bearing fruit for your kingdom, not because of their amazingness and extraordinary ability, but because you are the one who moves through us and in us. So Lord, let us rely on you and trust you for good things. In Jesus' name, amen.